Hello, my name is Greta Harrison. Welcome to Born Fabulous, where we speak with parents and accomplished individuals who just happen to have disabilities. You're about to hear episode 11, which is the third part of a five-part interview with Jeannie Harris. Jeannie is the mother of Tim Harris. Tim is famous for owning Tim's Place, a restaurant that listed free hugs on the menu. Tim currently has a very successful public speaking career. Tim is 33 years old and has already had a very exciting life, full of travel and meeting wonderful people like President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama. Tim happens to have Down syndrome. Jeannie is a retired former business owner. She and her husband of 38 years, Keith, have four sons. They love to travel, often as sailors. Jeannie calls herself a student of life. We met at one of Tim's speeches six years ago. Now, please enjoy this clip of Love is a Potion. The lyrics were written by Melissa Riggio, who was the focus of episodes one through four. The music and voice are by Rachel Fuller. What about elementary school? Let's talk about that. So elementary school was interesting. He, um, he wasn't able to go to his home school when, by the time he reached kindergarten. And so um, he was bused to a neighborhood, a neighboring school who had a, it was, they had a, a special ed D level program. Um, but I was already, I, Oh, another thing about Tim's um, preschool years was, um, we started going to NDSC when Tim was nine months old. For those who don't know, tell everybody what NDSC is. NDSC is the National Down Syndrome Congress, and every year they have an annual convention that has all the latest and greatest updates on research, education. I don't know, Greta, am I, saying, am I filling it in enough? I, yeah, I think that's good. They're, they bring national speakers, and it's, we highly recommend it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, we've tried to go out every year since Tim was born. Um, it's Now it's like a big family reunion. And I can't even describe what it was like that first year going and being in a room with over 2,000 people who were in the exact same situation we were. It was very healing and very comforting and very scary. <laughs> all at once you know Um, so in Tim's early education I wanted to get back to that so we were all about inclusion inclusion was um kind of new and on the forefront and not very many um school systems had adopted any kind of inclusion program and so what and and we lived in Albuquerque by that time and Albuquerque public schools is huge. It's, uh, I don't know how it compares nationwide, but it had, it has over 30 elementary schools. I think something like 14 middle schools and 
five or six high schools. So you're talking like a huge organization is that when you're trying to, to look at, wow, this organization needs to change. It's a big deal. So I didn't tackle it that way. My husband and I, when Tim went into elementary school and had to start, well, we had to start this whole IEP thing at a very young age. Um, But um, we would go to every IEP with an idea in our head that somehow our son was going to be included. So in kindergarten, um, this was really interesting. We had a very open staff who Tim was in a, Tim, because he was in special ed, got to do all day kindergarten, which back then was kindergarten was only half day. And so he went to his um, special ed D level classroom, which for younger parents, that's um, eight students to one teacher. And, um, and it's the, the, in the, in their own classroom. And um, so he went to that class in the morning and that's where he got his physical therapy and speech therapy and, and other therapies that he had the rights to at the time. Then in the afternoon, the school was open to it and he went to the regular kindergarten, just like any of the other students. And um, that was how we started with inclusion and inclusion was that way for us, the rest of Tim's um, school uh, time in public school um, was we made it up as we went along every year. Like, all right, we we fully believe inclusion. We would go every year to the new teachers and show them what we'd learned about how it helps Tim, not only Tim, but helps the ordinary students in the classroom and just would get the teacher's ear to look at making adaptations that um, had Tim in a regular classroom for at least some portion of a day. And that went on up until um, high school. Well, it went on a little bit through high school, but it was in high school. He was more um, less um, included than in elementary and middle school. We're going to get to high school, but correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't by the time Tim got out of elementary school, wasn't it an inclusive school by the time he got out or am I wrong? No, it, it's cool. I don't, I don't know, even know if it is today. I mean, uh, okay. okay. I will tell you one thing that happened was his, one of his teachers earlier on was um, his special ed teacher in when he was in second grade really also believed in inclusion and that and then when Tim was in fifth grade, she on her own went to the the administration and said and she changed she was a dual major, she was dual degree, so she could either teach special ed or regular ed. And so she became a regular ed teacher and then teamed up her classroom with a with this with a special ed teacher who was interested. And so they did not have a separate class. They had two teachers in one classroom, but unfortunately what happened, it was chaos because then what happened was all the other teachers, the rest of the school said, Oh, huh? Well, this kid is a problem. So they should go in that classroom. And so they took all the kids that had challenges and, and put them in that classroom. And I mean, when you look at inclusion, if you look at true inclusion, 
it's like 2% of the population are people with disabilities. So 2% of your classroom should be disabilities. Well, this was about 50, 50 and it was too, they couldn't, it didn't, it didn't last because it didn't work. I'm glad you brought that up because that still goes on today. And I call it dumping. And what they do is they call these classes inclusion classes. So basically everybody with an IEP goes to, it's usually one or two classes when you're in a large district for a grade, they'll have one or two classes, but they dump, they dump every IEP there. And I'm not, I'm not saying every school district does this. I know my school district does. <laughs> I, I know several around me do, um, but that's called dumping. And yeah, that's not inclusion. Inclusion should be proportionate, like you just right. said, which is about, in, in, a, in a school, it's about 15%, give or take, 12 to 15% of your students are going to have an IEP. So that's the proportion you should have in a class. And I've been saying that for years. So that makes me really sad to hear you say that because yeah. this was back in early 1990s and, and I, I'm sad to hear that there's not been more change. Um, and also I will tell you that like in a, in a few, in a, in some of the occasions when we would go to people and talk about inclusion, um, kind of versus mainstreaming or they used to call that main dumping where you'd pull them out for library or something. And, but anyway, um, uh, that uh, some of the special ed teachers would feel threatened. They would feel like their jobs were threatened, but the whole, if people really looked at the idea of inclusion, it's that idea of a, a regular ed teacher working in conjunction with a special ed teacher in one setting um, that they're both equally necessary. And, you know, I, I hated to see anyone who felt threatened by, well, if we do inclusion, then I don't have a job. Of course you have a job of, you know, you can't do this without you. <laughs> right. Of and course you, you yeah, of course you have a job. Right. And you should be able to walk in a class and not be able to, if it's a co-taught class, not be able to tell who's the general ed teacher and who's the special ed teacher. Right. They should be, that's how it should be. money if they were to actually really do that? Well, no, it actually costs, what, what happens is that they don't want to pay for two teachers in as many classes as need two teachers. And that's the reason they don't have enough co-taught. They've pulled the co-taught classrooms, many of them in my district for budget reasons. Oh, so it, it costs it costs money. And again, I'm not picking on my district because I, I have a great administration. I'm just saying in general, this happens across the country. Well, and you're talking about what in know, general, there's challenges from all perspectives. Right. Right. Yeah. But you're, you're exactly right. That's the way it should be done, but it's not the way it is done. So I like to use the word could be, could be, I like that. We could be, and it is being done in some places and it is being done in some places. There are some wonderful districts around the country that are doing that. And I will tell you, like for the parents who are, who's this subject really reaches them. This, those are the the people who are doing that are probably the people who will be speaking on it at the national convention. So you'll, you would get the latest and greatest on what those school districts are doing what's working, what's not. And they, and you can take that home with you. I mean, that was very encouraging for us all through Tim's um, education was being able to go and see what other people are doing and taking it back to the schools. That's exactly right. And one little tip 
that I that I believe in is I put no pullouts in my daughter's IEP so that when they dumped her in these inclusion classes and the special ed teacher pulled all the IEPs out, my daughter actually got real inclusion because she was the only IEP left in the class. So she got, at least she got the general ed instruction and she benefited. But it's sad that we have to do stuff like that. Very sad. So, okay, let's move on to high school. Well, middle and high school. Is there anything you want to share about middle school? Because there is that bridge between elementary and high school. What, how is middle school for Tim? There, middle school, uh, I believe, was a turning point for Tim on, like, him feeling accepted elementary was rough by the way I don't know what that was like for you but kids can be pretty cruel and elementary school was rough for Tim like out on the playground and and his brother actually his older brother when Tim okay so Tim went two years and then he did get to go to his home school and his brother was in fourth grade and he set up a fourth grade patrol where there were about eight kids who patrolled at recess. They took turns and patrolled at recess to, and to watch for people picking on Tim. Tim was the first person with down syndrome to attend that that elementary school ever. Um, And the principal backed them up. They had a no tolerance policy for any kind of, fighting or anything like that. So the fourth grade patrol led by my older son would get the name of the kid and their teacher. And then they'd go turn him into the principal and the principal every time pulled the kid out of the classroom and brought him to his office and they got in trouble by the principal. So elementary school was rough in that perspective, in that way. By middle school, Tim's social life really started climbing because kids they knew him from elementary school, but they had kind of more awareness of, I don't know, they kind of looked out for Tim. It's, it's kind of interesting. They felt protective of him. They, they started, that's when people started calling him our Tim in, this, in the schools. So that was the, the social thing going on. And, but what was happening in the classroom was very concerning to me at first. And that was we went to this he went to the D-level classroom, and it was Tim's first male teacher, and he had some ways that I was really concerned about, like, um, he because Tim had Down syndrome, he said Tim needs to work on his dexterity, and I need to teach him how to snap and zip his pants and some things like that. And my alarm bells are going off, and I'm going – well, Tim has known how to do that since he was seven years old. You, you don't need to put that on his IEP. And he said, well, you know, I've had kids with Down syndrome in my classroom before. And you know, it was kind of like that. Like, and so this needs to go on his IEP. And my husband and I were starting to get to the point where we were a little bit tired of the fight, so to speak, of, of every IEP. Like, well, this is what our son needs. This is what we want him to have. And, and no, this is you guys, you know, the IEP stuff. And, um, and so we said, all right, let's, let's put it on there. (laughs) Six weeks later, I go to check in and the teacher pulls me aside and he said, 
you know, Tim needs, Tim need, knows how to do all this stuff on his own. Yeah. So I, for me, it was one of those lessons where sometimes, and I've learned this over the, over the course of the years that, that sometimes Tim needs to be the one to tell people and show people rather than hearing it from mom or dad. And I'm sorry, but the teachers end up getting battle worn, weary worn themselves. And so my husband and I got to a point where we started setting up our IEP meetings after that to be more, we're all on this team together. And I don't know what it was about my husband and I, maybe because we were business owners, but I have expected the teachers to think we were going to walk in the room with a lawyer or something, you know, but, but we would put them at ease going, this is what we're here for. We're, we're all on the same team and we're going to look at getting the best education that we can for our son. And we did put up our battles where we needed to and put our foot down where we needed to, but it, we didn't make the whole thing a battle. And because trust me, the teachers are battle weary. That's and a good point. That's a, that's a going on 30, you know, 30 years later, I'm really sad, but they're even more battle worn. They're, they're battle worn. And I know parents who unfortunately feel like they always have to fight, 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 fight. Well, we were told from the time mm. Tim was born that we had to fight. And, and you do need to, I just don't like the word fight. You do need to advocate strongly and, do all those things. And you're right. Um, but, but think about your story about what a child senses from the time they're born. Right. If, if somebody's always fighting, the child's going to sense that too. Right. Now I want to go back a little bit to the story. I don't think that like if, if I were to go back now, if I hadn't been so battle weary, I think I would have fought that teacher about for instance, putting that on Tim's IEP. So I'm not advocating mm-hmm. that you just let step back and just let them do whatever they want because they were trying to put him in a basket. You know, they were trying to put him in a box that said, this is what the box is. We knew that Tim didn't fit in that box. They didn't, right? But they, this teacher might have left him in that box, but he didn't. And that teacher, Tim ended up being in, he was Tim's head teacher for three years in middle school. And this man, if we had written him off Greta, I don't know where Tim would be today. He taught Tim how to read and got Tim's reading up to at least a fifth grade level. He took him from elementary reading to being able to function in the world today. He taught him how to, how to keep time, you know, how to um, it, it, I, I guess you, the best you could say was he, he was the start of Tim's um, major education, but also his what we then used to call community-based training. I don't know what it's called now. But he took, for instance, he, he knew he had the skill and knew how to break down a job. So one of the things that he did with Tim and probably other kids in his classroom was he had agreed that his classroom would go clean the cafeteria after lunch every day. And so at one o'clock, they had to get up from their desk, uh, go to by themselves to the cafeteria, go to the sink and the place where you get the cleaning soap. You put the cleaning soap in a bucket. You know, I'm, te- I'm telling this in detail because this is what he did. He taught Tim step by step. And at first it was with little guidance, like, Okay, Tim, 
And he taught him how to read a clock with the hands, right? Because you're in a school with a clock with the hands. I mean, just little things that you don't even think of. A lot, how many kids even know how to read a clock with hands anymore, right? I was just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it got to the point, and I don't know how long this took even, but it got to the point where at one o'clock, Tim knew what time it was, folded up his book, got up from his desk, went to the cafeteria, did his job, and came back without being told once what to do. And I can't tell you what that training had done for Tim to be able to go on and get through what he needed to do to go to college and in his work life and giving and, speeches. And, and mean, his, his independence, because I don't know if the audience knows that Tim is fairly independent. I mean, and that sense of accomplishment, I, you know, you, want, you have to watch not so much the teachers, but the aides who will do the work for your children. Like watch for that. It's mm-hmm. like, but this man is one of my heroes because he, once he learned who Tim was and saw what he could do, he took him to the next level. And I will be forever grateful for this guy. So you know, that's why I don't, don't be so quick to go into the battle and just fight the battle. Like, so there were a lot of people who took their kids out of that man's classroom because of something or other. And I, I believe they missed out, but he did go to bat for Tim about um, there were some classes that Tim was able to take in his middle school with the, with regular ed, he, not his basic um, educational classes, but there was PE and there were all the um, classes that where Tim could go and, 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 blend in. And he, he went to bat for Tim to go to regular PE because Tim was very athletic at the time and very active still as he was as, as a child and very coordinated. And um, the, the PE teacher didn't want to let him go to regular PE. And she was concerned about him. I mean, but she wanted to fight and she felt threatened because she's going, and, but she was using it. Well, what if he gets hurt? What about when you do archery? What if, what if he gets hurt? And the, and the PE teacher just said, well, when it comes to archery, if he can't do it, I'll have him do something else. You know, it's like, and, and so this teacher, the one that I almost wrote off, you know, went to bat for Tim going, of course he should be able to do this. So well, fight you know, the battle, but know what, what battle you're fighting. <laughs> well, and you know, I do need to bring up though, I, I know a lot of younger parents now who are their kids are being denied even electives. A five-year-old, you can't take art. You can't take PE. This is crazy. That is so, crazy. It is crazy. So I'm, I'm glad that, that he, it sounds like Tim made an exclusive, an inclusive experience wherever he went just by being Tim. <laughs> and am I correct? Well, in those days he had us looking out. I mean, he could, he couldn't do it then other than at this is when he started going out in the hallway between classes and blending in more with kids and things like that. But we had, to, I mean, we did have to work and, and we're challenged to every year to set up these um, inclusive settings. And I, I don't want to say that Tim had an inclusive education, but we did set up um, ways for Tim to be a part of the regular education population where, where possible. You did the best you could wherever you could, right? Yeah. And, so, and that's maybe where Tim 
you know, learned it by watching us. I mean, we watched and had expectations that, and, and little things like we didn't, we had him ride the regular school bus. We had him like, and and by the time he got to middle school, we didn't have a bus. He walked to school with the neighborhood kids. You look for ways. How can your kid have as normal a life as possible accepting that some of the life you have to make accommodations and you have to do extra things to help them. But be careful not to go too far beyond that and look at how your son or daughter can have as normal a life as possible and look for ways that that can happen. And looking at the big picture. So in high high school, Tim had a, Tim had a good experience. He was the homecoming king, for goodness sakes, right? Yes. Now, that's the kind of thing that you see about in newspapers and you see it in the media when it happens. What does it feel like to be the parent when that it happens? It was magical. It was magical. I mean, we knew from the time he first went to a homecoming in ninth grade that he, he told us that he was going to be homecoming king someday. This is, this is that's what I call the magic of Tim. There's There's... Just just like he told us he was going to hog the president. He told us that he was going to be homecoming king. And we were like, you know, that's nice to have your dreams. And we supported him. Um, and he started, like, he had a drive to be involved. And so he had a teacher who helped him sign up to be the high school mascot at the football games. And this that was hilarious because he's so, okay, this is, my sweet part, my, my uh, mother biased uh, account of this story, but he's just so sweet that people like just love him. And so anybody else who was the high school, the school mascot, which is this Eagle, which, and I'm sorry, but Tim is a sweat monster and he puts this Eagle costume on and he would dance around and he'd be sweating. I thought he'd lost 15 pounds every time he did it. But anyway, it was supposed to be a big secret who the mascot was. And we, we'd have him, you know, we'd, we'd have the thing in a bag or whatever. And he'd be telling people as we're going to the game or as we're leaving school that day, make sure to come to the game today. You're going to see the mascot. The mascot's really cool. It's a secret, but you don't know who the mascot is. But, you know, he, and everybody knew it was Tim. And then he'd get so hot, he'd tip it up. And I've, there's this great picture that actually was hung in a local restaurant who highlighted the high school of Tim in this mascot costume with his face and this smile. And, you know, everybody just went along with him. You know, that was the, that was that thing I was telling you about how people would look out for Tim, um, and you know some of his bully stories too, where other people looked out for him, which we can tell later. But um, anyway, uh, so it started with him getting involved, um, and then he didn't want to sit in the cafeteria with his class. He knew that the other kids, his brother, and other kids were out in the cafeteria, standing in line to get a burrito or pizza, and that's where he wanted to be. And he, of his own volition, made that happen. Now, did that happen on his own? Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of credit. My husband and I started advocating for him when he was three weeks old. And I think he learned to advocate for himself by watching us and by other people who came in and advocated for him throughout, throughout his life, right? But it was something that he picked up for himself and started doing it. And doing it against us sometimes. Like when he became a senior, he knew that seniors got to leave campus. 
and go across the street and get a burrito. And he told his teacher, when I'm a senior, I get to leave campus. And his special ed teacher was, oh, I don't think so. And we had to go get permission. Kids, kids wanted to take him out in their cars to go get a burrito. And they were friends. And, and you know, he, he was insistent and made it happen. And I'm wandering now. But um, the involvement that led up to Homecoming King started with him just getting involved, going out in the courtyard. Did he get bullied? Yeah. Did he get teased? Yeah. But you know what? He never came home and told me the stories. His worst bullying story, I didn't find out till nine months later. He just lives his life in the moment, and, and that was contagious. And the people who needed to be in his life and who needed to be there to help him were drawn to him. And it was out of our hands. And, and that's, I guess I'm telling the story that leads up to us letting him have a more independent life. But at every stage, there's some letting go. And there's some pain that goes with it. And you can't always protect your kids. But I found out you don't always need to because there are other people who do. That's true. There are good people in this world. Why don't you talk about some of those stories where Tim was bullied? Huh. He loves to tell this one in his speeches. Um, I'm sure it maybe got exaggerated a little bit over the years. But <laughs> what we found out was um, at the, the, the school, because he, um, they wanted to let the kids in his special ed D-level classroom out early to go catch the bus and not get caught up in the big crowded hallways. <clears throat> and so Tim always had this 15 minutes at the end of the day where he was kind of out on his own. Well, apparently there were these two boys that were kind of more or less shaking him down for his leftover lunch money every day. And one day the varsity football team was coming out and going to the field and the captain of the football team was a friend of Tim's that I didn't know about. This is, this is another thing. Tim had friends that I didn't know who they were friends, but he um, saw that he saw these guys picking on Tim and he got the team and he went over there. And the way Tim describes it was, um, and I'm not condoning this, but what Tim said was, they dented the lockers with those guys and used and rolled them like bowling balls. <laughs> those guys. And they told, we talked to the captain later and I don't know, I'm not saying that there was violence and I'm sure they would have gotten in big trouble nowadays if that happened. But the, Chris, who turned out to be a really good friend of Tim's, who was the captain of the football team, just said, we let them know and told them and that if we ever, ever see you messing with him again, you're in big trouble. And they left him alone. And he, I think in his speech, he talks about, he says something like, it sure is nice to have friends on the football team or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, they, or they didn't know that, I, that, that the football team were my friends or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure the football team appreciated him being such an enthusiastic mascot and supporter of them. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. To, to, the power of Tim, the power of Tim. Thank you for listening to the 11th episode of Born Fabulous. I hope you enjoyed it and want to hear more. In episode 12, Jeannie Harris talks about Tim's high school and college years, sharing more great stories. That episode comes out June 14th. To learn more about Tim and see some photos and videos, go to www.bornfabulouspodcast.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Born Fabulous Podcast on iTunes or any podcast directory. Please like us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel. Now please enjoy this clip of The Ring. Lyrics are by Melissa Riggio, who was the subject of Episodes 1 through 4. The music and voice are by Rachel Fuller.